Amen. What a wonderful prayer that we have prayed to offer our hearts to the Lord, to ask him to speak to us what is true. There's a legend um, that uh, about the emperor Moctezuma, the Aztec emperor Moctezuma I and his daughter back in 1440, way before Europeans arrived in the Americas, that Moctezuma's daughter had become very ill. And uh, all of the healers in the Aztec empire were not able to administer any kind of uh, healing for her. And he became very concerned about her because things didn't look good. And so he heard that someone had found hot springs in the northern part of the country. They were in Tenochtitlan, which is now Mexico City. And they said, there's a place in the north that's a valley surrounded with mountains. And in one of those mountains, there are some hot springs with healing powers. And so the emperor Moctezuma proceeded to send an expedition with his daughter. And they went up to this place. and. Among many uh, hills, they found the hot springs in one of the smaller hills, and, and she was able to spend time in there, so the legend goes, and bathe in the hot springs, and stay several days there, and drink from the waters, the healing waters, supposedly, of that place, and, and she became well, and she went back. Well, I don't know if that legend is true or not. It just sounds like a very nice thing, but that little mountain uh, was called eventually Topo Chico, which means small mole. And uh, about 130 years ago, somebody started bottling the water from the spring there. And for 130 years, there have been millions and millions of bottles of Topo Chico uh, mineral water. I don't know if the Aztec princess bathed in there or not, but uh, I do know I like a cold one of those every once in a while. But it makes me think about a spring that flows and produces so much water is only limited by the amount of containers that are filled with it. And I think about the fact that there is a fountain, there is a spring, there is a source of grace that flows constantly for generations and generations. And how much of that grace, how much of that healing in our souls we can experience is only limited by how open our hearts are to it. We begin a new series today that we're, we're entitled, We Are Open. And during this series, we're going to talk about open hearts. We're going to talk about open arms. We're going to talk about open schedules. And we're going to talk about open hands and maybe open wallets. Uh, we are open begins with our heart. Open hearts. The Christian life is a matter of the heart. If you believe all of the right things, you have orthodoxy. If you do all the right things, you have morality. 
if you follow all the right rituals, you have religion. And you can have orthodoxy, and you can have morality, and you can have religion and not know God personally. Because all of those things are meaningless unless your heart is open to God's grace. The life of the Christ follower begins in the heart. When you and I open our hearts to God's love and his grace, something miraculous happens. Something that is better than pure doctrine, as good as that is. Something that is better than right behavior, as right as that is. Something that is better than, than good religion. Something that is bigger and greater and more transcendent happens when grace enters our hearts. I want to invite you to go with me to our text today, which is found in, in the letter to the Romans, chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, Romans 5.1. We find this precious passage of our faith. Many of you know it well, and it continues to speak to us. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God pours out his love through the Holy Spirit. What we have in Christ is a fountain of grace. It's a river of life. It's an ocean of love. It's a stream of living waters. This overflowing spring of God's grace is available to us for the taking if we open our hearts. The overflowing spring of grace in the first place tells us here it covers our sin. When God's love and grace are poured into our hearts, sin is washed away. Some have criticized this idea of, of, the sing, of the hymn that we just sang about Jesus coming into our heart. And some people talk about, have you accepted or have you received Jesus into your heart? And, and there are those that criticize and said, there, there's no such phrase or commandment in the Bible that says, receive Jesus into your heart. Uh, I, I think the, the, the criticism comes from the idea that, that it makes uh, the person sort of the one in charge and, and that uh, uh, it, it ignores the sovereign work of God and his grace and, and that it makes Jesus some kind of an emergency God that we let into our hearts uh, to, to work in part of our lives. He's a smaller God than we are. And, and some people are concerned that when you use that kind of language, you, you minimize the sovereignty of God. And, and, and if that's the case, then there's reason for concern. Salvation is about surrendering our lives to Jesus as Lord 
and Savior. It's not about necessarily asking Jesus to come and stay inside of us in case of emergency. Rather than taking a salvation pill, grace is like a wave that overtakes us. It's an ocean that overwhelms us. And yet, the Bible says here that this wave, this grace is poured into our hearts. It uses the word hearts. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit does exactly that. Now, when the Bible talks about hearts, it's not talking about just feelings. We, we often think of hearts as some sort of sentimental portion of our lives. We, we, we draw little hearts in, uh, around Valentine's Day, and, and it's something kind of cute. But, but when the Bible talks about heart, it, it's referring to the center of our desires and our will. It, it's really talking about our whole person. It, it is in the heart that, that, that life begins. That's why the wisdom writer warns his apprentice or his son in Proverbs 4.23 where he says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. The heart as a center, not just of emotions and feelings, but the will and the desires of the person. When your heart is pure, then our lives will be pure. When our heart is impure, then our lives will be impure. It, it is in your heart that you decide to sin. It is in your heart that sin wants to rule. That's why God warned Cain before he, he killed his brother Abel back in Genesis. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Like an eager intruder, uh, like, like a beast that's looking for prey, sin crouches at the door of our hearts. And when we let it in, it takes over. Sin is never a respectful guest. It comes in and it thinks it is master and Lord of our lives. It rules, it stains, it directs our thoughts and our desires, and, and most sadly, it separates us from God. It alienates us from the Holy One who created us. But the good news of the gospel is that God's love and grace can be poured into our heart and when it does, it covers our sin. Our sin is washed away. Every single offense, every single sin is covered by grace. Our text says that we have been justified through faith. To be justified means to be made right. The word justified is related to, to the word just. So if you're justified, that means you're, you're declared just. You're declared righteous. You're declared not a sinner, but a righteous one. Paul tells us that because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is that possible? If I'm a sinner and God is holy, if there's alienation between God and me because of my sin, 
How is it possible that I can have peace with God? This, this week we've talked, uh, we've heard in the news about everything but peace, right? How is it that, that Israel and Palestine can, can have peace when they keep shooting rockets at each other, right? How is it that God and I can have peace when, when there's enmity, when I've offended him, when, when he's holy? The Bible tells us that it is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was righteous in every way. The perfect son of God, he lived a life that was sinless. And God pours the righteousness of Jesus on us. And it removes our sin. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being the recipient of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life? Being justified by faith, through faith means that we come to terms with our sinfulness. Being justified through faith means that we come to terms with our helplessness. Being justified through faith means that we come to terms with our inability to be righteous on our own and we come undone before God and we received his grace, we received his righteousness, we received his forgiveness. We can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ because he went to the cross to die for our sins and he rose from the dead. He rose from the grave to give us power to live. Grace covers our sin, all of our sin, all of your sin and all of my sin is covered by God's grace. Grace rescues us from the punishment of sin. Whatever we deserve because of our sin, grace rescues us from that punishment. Grace removes the punishment of sin and replaces it with peace with God. That's a good deal, isn't it? Now, if you've already opened your heart to God's grace and love, then justification through faith is your salvation past. And if you haven't opened your heart to God's grace and love, what are you waiting for? Open your heart today to a grace that covers all your sin, to a grace that justifies you, to a grace that makes you have peace with God. It's about open hearts. This overflowing spring of grace covers our sin and it changes our character. If all grace did was to wash away our sin, if all grace did was to remove the guilt of my sin, to save me from the eternal punishment that I deserve, it would be enough. It would be more than I could ever ask for. It would be more than I could ever pay for. But, but grace covers more than that. Another phrase that people criticize is the phrase, once saved, always saved. The idea of that phrase is that salvation cannot be lost, that, that if you are saved, that there's nothing that you can do to lose your salvation that a child of God can never be, um, become a child of God. There are those that, 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 that criticize that phrase. And I understand, I happen to believe that the Bible teaches that salvation is forever, that there is the assurance of salvation for the person who is in Christ. Some call it the, the perseverance of the saints. I believe that. I believe the Bible teaches that. But I think that 
The criticism comes because of the misuse of this phrase, even the wording of it. Because those that use this phrase sometimes use it to excuse their lack of obedience. They, they use it to excuse their lack of pursuit of holiness. They don't want holy living. All they want is a certificate of fire insurance. One day they prayed a prayer and they asked Jesus to forgive their sins and they received the assurance that when they die they would go to heaven and somehow in their minds they have filed away the certificate of fire insurance and they go on and they live lives that are not transformed, they live lives that are not godly, they live lives that are not growing, they live lives that are not shaped by the Holy Spirit. And if that's how they use that phrase, if, if people use that phrase that way, then my, my understanding is that they don't know grace. If you talk like that, then you don't understand grace. Perhaps you have never experienced grace because, because you experience the grace of God, you, you don't want to stay where you are. You don't want to stay the way you are. The Bible tells us that God's love was poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Think about that. In God's incredible and extravagant grace, he gave us the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God of very God, the Holy One, it's given to you and me, the Holy Spirit. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is yours. It lives in you. How can we not desire holiness when the Holy Spirit lives in us? How can we not become holy when he is in control of our lives? Notice how Paul describes what happens when grace is poured. Look again at verse two, the first part of it. It says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. He says that through Jesus Christ, not only have we been forgiven, not only have we been justified, not only have we been made right with God and have peace with God, but we have gained access into this grace in which we now stand. See, Salvation is not just an event that happened to us, but it is a realm that we enter into, a present dimension. It's not just about what happened to me 10, 20, 30 years ago, but today I stand in that grace. When the love of God was poured into our hearts, we entered this kingdom of God, this kingdom of grace. Grace did not just make us righteous, but it elevated us to a new way of living, living in the kingdom of God. Today, now, and here, grace is both the unmerited favor and the incomparable power of God. God declares us righteous when we trust him, and then he actually makes us righteous. He actually sanctifies us. He actually changes our hearts and our minds. I think that's what Romans 12, 2 talks about when, when it refers to the changing of our minds is, is part of our hearts is do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renew of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I was talking uh, some weeks ago with someone who's been a believer for a long time, but uh, some, somehow during his Christian walk, he, he began to engage in, in secret sin. And the more uh, that he engaged in it, the, the, the worst he felt, and the more shame and guilt he carried, and he would wrestle with it and confess it to God and, and ask God for forgiveness, and, and then he would find himself right back again in the same place, and wanting to, to speak to someone, wanting to reach out, wanting to let his wife know, but, but, but being filled with shame and guilt, and carry that burden for years, and, and, and it continued to, to eat at him and to, to destroy uh, his spiritual life and to destroy relationships because of what was going on in his life. And, and one day he came to the conviction that he just needed to come clean, and he needed to confess to his wife, and he needed to confess to uh, friends. And he said that when he did, he said he experienced such a deliverance, such a freedom, when he walked and stepped right out of the shadows into the light, he says, I never knew what grace was. I never understood grace. I had always thought of God as, as an angry God who's ready to punish me, who, who, who's ready to make me feel guilty for the things I haven't done. But when I, when I brought everything, all my sinfulness to him, his grace not only forgave me and cleansed me, but it lifted me up. It gave me the power to live in a holy way. And he told me how many days he has been freed from that sin that entangled him. Like a sober person saying, this is how God has been working in my life. His grace is at work. Grace takes away our shame and our guilt so that we can live in the power and the glory of God. Paul tells us that we can boast in the hope of the glory of God. And that hope doesn't put us to shame, he says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Listen, don't miss this. When we stumble and fall, we don't have to stay there in our shame because God's love has already been poured in our hearts. Listen, God has already proven to you that he loves you unconditionally. He doesn't love you because of what you do. He doesn't love you because of how you behave. He loves you because he chose to love you. He loves you so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. Every time that you don't know if God will forgive you again, every time that you don't know if God will help you again, every time that you don't know if you can face God again, remember the cross. When you look at the cross, you know there is no question, no question at all about the love of God for you. And it is when you come to that love that you are freed to confess, to bring your sin every time you fail. <laughs> I was uh, playing golf with a couple of friends uh, some days ago, and some of you know that I'm not a very good golfer. I just like to get out there. And I was in a team, uh, it was four of us, and we were playing two against two, and the person that in my team is really good. I mean, he's super good. So, so much that if we played his ball all the time, I'd never get to play. Uh, 
and the other team was kind of like me. And so it was uneven because of my teammate. And my teammate said, let's, let's make this fair. He said, when we get to the tee box, we're going to use Julio's drive. And I go, oh, man, we're in trouble. He said, whatever Julio hits the ball, that's where we're going to play from our team. And, uh, and he says, except if he hits it out of bounds, then I get to tee off, and you guys tell me what club to use except the putter. And they said, okay, that's fair enough. And I felt a little pressure, but, but, but then I understood that all I had to do was to do my best, and whenever I failed, my teammate would cover me. And I thought about the fact, even much greater in the Christian life, God calls me to live my best, but when I come short, he's right there to rescue me, to fill the gap, to save me. Grace produces character. God is changing us to be Christ-like. That's, God is not concerned with making you comfortable. God is concerned with shaping your character so that you become like Christ. So when you get to heaven, you're already reflecting him. Grace changes our character. Grace rescues us from the power of sin, not just the punishment of sin, but the power of sin. Grace takes away our shame and replaces it with glory. If you've already opened your heart to God's love and grace, then, then sanctification is your salvation present. And if you haven't opened your heart to God's love and grace, what are you waiting for? God wants to come into your life, forgive your sins, and shape your character so that you'll be like Christ. The overflowing spring of grace also celebrates our future. God forgives our past. He transforms our present, and he informs our future. The Bible tells us that we can boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's, that's talking about the future. One day we will experience God's glory in all of its fullness. Amen? One day Jesus will come and he will make everything right. One day we will reign with him. I'm just concerned that some Christians are so enamored with this world. If you hear the prayers of some Christians, you would think that their ultimate hope is here and now. So some Christians get so devastated by what's going on in this world, you would think that they have no hope for, for the world to come. You know, I, uh, the other day my son went to one of the local stripes and, and as he drove up, uh, he realized they were without power. And so the, the store clerk came outside and told him, you know, made a, a hand sign that there was no power. And so uh, right when my son was about to pull back, uh, the power came back on and the store clerk went like, like he was disappointed that the power came back on. He was so comfortable in the darkness, I guess. I have a feeling there are some Christians that are so committed to this world, so committed to their ideals, their politics, their finances, that if Jesus comes back, they would be disappointed. He came too soon. The Bible tells us that heroes of the faith who came before us live with the anticipation of the heavenly city. They live and died knowing that this world is not their home, that they were just passing through. Hebrews 11 says, all these people 
were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. To return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Wow, can you imagine that? That's another way of saying uh, God was proud of them. Would you like God to be proud of you? Then set your eyes on the city, on the heavenly city. When God's love and grace is poured into our hearts, we can do the same. We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We can anticipate eagerly the return of Jesus. Our going to heaven when we die doesn't depend on, on how good we are. Our entering the city of God does not depend on how holy we are. Our reigning with God in glory is, about, is not about what we have done. Our eternal glory rests on the grace of God. We can have that hope and that assurance that we're going to be with Jesus for eternity because of the grace, the grace that celebrates our future. You can celebrate right now. It's a crazy world, I know. The headlines are discouraging, I know. But the Holy Spirit inside of you says, celebrate your future. <laughs> celebrate your future, it's certain. Grace has covered it. Grace celebrates our future. Grace rescues us from the presence of sin. Grace removes our fear and replaces it with hope. If you've already opened your heart to God's love and grace in Christ, then glorification is your salvation future. And if you haven't opened your heart to God's grace and love, then what are you waiting for? God's love wants to be poured into your heart, covering your sin, changing your character, and celebrating your future. There is an overflowing grace, spring of grace that comes from God. That grace is poured into our hearts when we open them. That's called faith. When we open our hearts, then that's exactly what happened. Grace covers our sin. It changes our characters and celebrates our future. God's grace rescues us from the punishment of sin. We call that justification. Salvation past. Have you been saved? Have you been justified? God's grace rescues us from the power of sin. We call that sanctification, that salvation present. Are you being saved right now from the power of sin? God's grace rescues us from the presence of sin, will rescue us from the presence of sin. We call that glorification, that salvation future. Will you be saved? Do you have that assurance? You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a hacker caused the uh, colonial pipeline that goes from Houston, Texas to the Northeast to, to be interrupted and suddenly the Northeast found themselves without Texas gas and there was uh, concern and people and gas stations started running out of gas and 
One of the things that seemed really interesting to me is, this is how I think, I'm, I'm sorry if I don't think like everybody else, this is what I'm thinking. If the gas is not getting to the Northeast, that means it's still in Texas, okay? So why are you hoarding the gas in Texas? We have more of it because it's not getting over there. But people yet, we're, we're lining up. I, I think we have a, a picture here of people uh, getting gas cans. And I think people don't understand the mentality of abundance. Having so that we can share. The only thing that interrupts the blessings of grace is when we close our hearts. The Christian life begins and is lived out with an open heart to God's love and grace. Will you open your heart to God's love today and not be a blocked pipeline of grace, but an open pipeline that knows that the spring from which we draw will never run out. So let grace flow. Let grace flow in your life and through your life, let it overflow to others. Stand with me, please. How do you need to open your heart today to God's grace? Is it for justification? The first time that you trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. Is it for sanctification? Do you need to open your heart so that God can do the work of shaping your character even if it hurts? Or is it to set your hope on the things above instead of being anxious about the things below? Father, I thank you for the scriptures and the incredible salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We cannot even begin to describe it, but we thank you for it. Father, forgive us when we have minimized grace, when we have made it about our rituals, our rules. And Father, allow that grace to overflow into our hearts and from our hearts to others. Father, I pray that everyone who's here that needs to make a commitment of faith will do it right now. Will say, yes, Lord, I open my heart. Allow your spirit to be in control. Pour your love in my heart. I trust you. I believe in you. I receive what you have for me right now. As you do business with God right now, we'll sing. You tell him that you'll trust him and you'll open your heart.